I said, empty your mind. Be formless, shapeless, like water. It's about how hard you hit. It's about how hard you can get hit and keep moving forward. How much you can take and keep moving forward. Join movement expert Aaron Alexander as he dives into the minds of the foremost innovative healthcare thinkers and movement masters on their approach to optimal health and wellness. Align Podcast. Welcome back to Align Podcast. My name is Aaron Alexander. In today's fantastic episode, I got to have absolutely one of the world's leading authorities in human behavior and personal development, Mr. John Martini. In the last episode with Sean Croxton, uh, we were singing John's praises. I figured it'd be appropriate to release this one today so you could jump into John's work. John has, let's see, I got a little bio. He's written something like 44 different books. He's the author of 40 different books, published 29 different languages. He's produced 60 CDs and DVDs covering subjects such as development and relationships, wealth, education, and business. Um, he's done a lot of the stuff. He travels all around the world 360 days a year. He is Globetrotten, teaching his courses. He is the founder of the Demartini Institute and Demartini Method. Uh, I had the opportunity to spend some time with his family and actually see one of his uh, workshops here in Los Angeles. So really great. We recorded this here live in Los Angeles, and I hope you guys enjoy. We get into a lot of phenomenal subjects. Here is a little clip. He said, we have a body, we have a mind, and we have a soul. The body must be directed by the mind. The mind must be guided by the soul. Um, you need to set goals for yourself, your family, your community, your city, your state, your nation, your world, and beyond for 100 to 120 years. Because if you don't decide, everybody else around you decides. And nobody's committed to your fulfillment other than you. If you don't decide what you want to do in life, everybody else is going to tell you what to do. Thanks so much for tuning in to the website, aligntherapy.com. If you are drawn to that site, aligntherapy.com, you will find the five-day movement challenge where you can learn to integrate five basic fundamentals into everything that you do. It is craziness that we don't get that education at a young age. We learn how to drive cars, but never learn how to drive our bodies. we got to get it so we can become strong, flexible, pain-free, all that good stuff. Uh, so jump on there, grab that, and uh, also see the show notes for this and the rest of the episodes. Thank you so much to people for leaving reviews on iTunes. I recommend pausing this right now. You can do it on your phone. It takes probably 20 seconds. Just scroll down to the podcast, press five stars, send us a thing. If you appreciate it, if you don't appreciate it, no worries. Why the heck are you listening? Um, all right. This one comes from Papa Nap. He says, dope exclamation point. Five stars. Love the show and the knowledge that you're bringing to the world. Hit us up at AlignBand on Instagram. Send us a DM, Papa Nap, and we will send you out some good stuff from Organifi as a thing. Thanks. And that goes for the rest of you, folks. If you leave us a review on the iTunes and we read that thing, we'll send you out some stuff. Um, all right. I think we're good. Uh, thank you so much for tuning in. Uh, some folks asked about my experience at this 10-day silent meditation thing, the Vipassana. I'm going to do a blog and bonus podcast episode next week on that. Uh, blog's already done, actually. So that was a really interesting experience. I highly recommend folks explore meditation. Uh, the Buddha said it is the only way towards enlightenment or something like that. So recommend exploring it. All right, here we go. Back to the show recorded here in Santa Monica, California with the absolute legend, John D. Martini. Align podcast. So you spent some time in Hawaii. I did too. What the heck were you doing out there? Uh, well, I moved there when I was 15 to surf. Sweet. So, so I lived on the North Shore. What was the story, moving out there at 15? From where? Uh, I was born in Texas, Houston. In Houston, yeah. I hitchhiked to California when I was 14 and lived in Huntington Beach and surfed. And then I, uh, at 15, I panhandled enough money off the beach to be able to fly to uh, Honolulu, which was $86 at the time. And I landed in Honolulu and went out to the North Shore and slept under the Kamehameha Highway Sunset Beach Bridge. And then I got too noisy there and I moved to Iakai Beach Park right there at Pipeline and Rocky Point area. And then I um, moved into the bathrooms because it rained occasionally. Perfect. <laughs> that I found an abandoned car and I lived in that. And then I got me, I found a, a guy with a tent. And I lived in a tent back in Haleiwa. So I was a surf rat, um, just surfing sometimes 11 hours a day. Cool. And um, 
That was my thing in a t as a teenager. What surf level did you get to? Were you like surf and pipe? I surfed Pipeline, Waimea Bay, Sunset Beach. I surfed very large waves. Do you still surf? I'm planning on surfing on my 65th birthday in the North Shore. Cool. Awesome, man. And so you, one of the things that you mentioned that I think is really beautiful is anything that you can say thank you for is fuel. Anything that you can't is baggage. And you kind of had like a, like a checkered past with uh, lots of things that would probably not be so easy to say thank you for. Well, at the time, and with my skill and my awareness level, <clears throat> I didn't initially. But over time, as you learn, you realize that things are on the way, not in the way. Mm. And it's wiser to uh, not carry around the baggage and be grateful for it because they are serving you, and we don't always see that service initially. Right. So... Can you mention a couple of little baggage, a little like summation of some of the baggage you had growing up? And you're just like, couldn't read and write and legs were facing directions. Well, I, when I was born, I had a left leg uh, that was turned inward. So it was like 90 degree inward. Yeah. And then I had a hand also that was turned inward. And I had to wear braces on my arms and legs to straighten those out. I also had to go to a speech pathologist I, I'm guessing starting at one and a half, two, uh, till about four or five. And then when I got into uh, elementary school, I was told by my first grade teacher <clears throat> that uh, in front of my parents that I would never be able to read, never be able to write, mm -hmm. never be able to communicate, never mount anything, no go very far, and to wear a dunce cap. That's what they did in those days. And I definitely had challenges because I couldn't write. I'd write backwards or... And I, reading didn't make any sense. I couldn't get any meaning out of words. And I would, spelling, I couldn't do it. I would say letters that weren't there and reverse them. And I had a classical kind of dyslexic symptoms. Mm -hmm. And the teacher didn't have any other skills or tools to be able to do anything with it and was probably frustrated with me. And so my parents let me excel in sports. So I, got in, I was in baseball and I was great at baseball. And then I picked up surfing at age nine but Texas wasn't the surf capital. You had to wait for a hurricane to get a good surf there. And so um, when I, I dropped out of school, I left home at 13. I dropped out of school at 14. And then I said, you know, I might as well go and do what I really want to do, which is surfing. Yeah. So I took off to California because that's where the surf was. Everybody thought, go to California. And then I, I knew I wanted to make it to Hawaii eventually. So as soon as I got where I could surf really well in California, I said, let's go to Hawaii. And so, did you have any kind of like Eckhart Tolle or Tolle? I don't know how to say his name, <clears throat> Tolle. Any moments like that where moments of epiphany and transition? I, I've heard you mention a story of around you got, you almost died and a woman took care of you. And yeah, well, you've, you know more about me than a lot of people probably. Um, when I was 17, just a few weeks before my 18th birthday, I, um, well, actually, during the 17 year, I was accumulating um, and having symptoms of what was called strychnine cyanide poisoning. I didn't realize it was that. Everybody said, John, you're surfing 11 hours a friggin' day. You're out in the water all day, and you're probably cool in the water and not noticing you're sweating, and your electrolytes are probably imbalanced. And I started having cramps and charley horses all over my body. Mm. And I assumed it was potassium imbalances, so I kept eating bananas and things, but it wasn't helping. And I, my digits and my toes curled up. You, you probably had at night a charley horse that yeah. you had to walk off yeah. uh, tight sheets or something that would initiate it. But this just kept progressively getting more and it. And it started in my fingers and toes and it kept curling up and eventually my wrist and it started pulling up on my legs. Oh. And I thought, this is, this is something's not right here. And eventually um, it started pulling up on my arms and knees. And when you're surfing, that's it, that can affect your surfing. So, one day I was surfing Lonnie Kea, a big Lonnie Kea, and um, I dropped in on a bottom turn, and all of a sudden my right side of my body locked up on me, my diaphragm stopped. Wow. And it, it was pretty scary. And I thought, when you ride big waves, you got to have your full capacity. You can die out there. So I, I, um, I went over the falls, and I literally was rolled around for quite a while, and I thought, this is it. This is where it's going to end. And luckily, I, my, uh, I came up to the water and got some air, and my diaphragm opened, and I ended up coming to the beach. And I, from there, I went into, I hitchhiked down the, 
the Kamehameha Highway down into Haleiwa, went to the IJ supermarket, for some reason was drawn to get some buttermilk in me. I never drank buttermilk in my life, but that day I needed some. And I just went in there and I didn't buy it. I just guzzled it. <laughs> and I was dizzy and nauseated and I walked outside and I passed out in the parking lot. And I remember that. And then three and a half days later, there's no recollection until I'm awakened in my tent. And uh, luckily a lady found me in my tent and started getting some fluids in me because I had really catharsed. And she said, man, you're dehydrated. And she's the one that took me to, after she helped me recover, she took me to a health food store or a Vim and Vigor on the Hollywood area. And uh, there was an albino African guy that looked like Jimi Hendrix there sitting at the booth having a sandwich. And he said, man, you need to take yoga class. You're, you're, because I had a lot of spasms. I mean, it was really pretty spastic. He says, you need to take a yoga class. And if he hadn't have said that, I might not, three days later when I was leaving that same health food store, I saw a flyer on the door saying that uh, special guest speaker Paul C. Bragg at this yoga class. And because he said that, the word yoga uh, made sense to me. And I decided to go to this little class one night. I never, ever went to classes or education or anything like that. I was a surfer. Just wanted to go surf and make surfboards. I was hanging out with Dick Brewer, who was making country surfboards at the time. I was learning from him. And um, I went to this class, and one night, in one hour, this one man with the one message, uh, man, he spoke to me and got to me. He just he inspired me to believe that maybe I could overcome my learning problems. Maybe I could learn to read. Maybe I could... Um, do more with my life, even though I love surfing. And I assumed I was going to be a surfer at that time in my life. In those days, you didn't make a lot of money surfing. There was no real things like this today. There's no commercial aspect to it. Right. And you were just, there were, there were two types of surfers, competitive surfers and then gun riders, the people that made designs and they, they didn't really, in, they weren't interested in the hot dog stuff. I was one of those gun people. I'd ride big waves with just the, the older guys. <laughs> and, uh, so I didn't think of anything except I knew then that I was believing I could overcome my learning problems. And that was the day I, I started on my journey to do what I still do to this day, 45 years later, which is researching and writing and traveling and teaching. What was the message distilled from the fellow? He said, he said, we have a body, we have a mind, we have a soul. The body must be directed by the mind. The mind must be guided by the soul. Um, you need to set goals for yourself your family, your community, your city, your state, your nation, your world, and beyond for 100 to 120 years. Because if you don't decide, everybody else around you decides. And nobody's committed to your fulfillment other than you. If you don't decide what you want to do in life, everybody else is going to tell you what to do. Right. And I, I took what he said to heart, and I started writing out what I wanted to do. I knew that I wanted to travel the world. I knew that I wanted to overcome my learning problems. I knew I wanted to learn how to read. I knew I wanted to be a teacher. Um, I knew that, um, you know, I wanted to share and do what he's doing for me because that was such an inspiring night. I said, I want to do that for people. Right. And um, I wrote that down and I started working on that and I never gave up on that. Yeah. The the word compression is what kept popping up for me as you were speaking. And, and I think so much, so many of us, we have these, this energetic hose, you could say, and it's just filled with holes. You know, and so most of us, we just throughout the day, we just leak everywhere. We don't have any compression in any one direction. And one of the things you do such a such a, a great job at is 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 creating some degree of directionality for people. Yes. You know, is that like how do we get started with starting to find direction? Well, every human being, regardless of age or gender, or background or culture, they live with a different vantage point and a set of priorities and values that they live by. And they may not be conscious of it fully, most aren't, but they have a set of values. And these values determine how they perceive the world, decide in the world, and act in the world. They're filtering their reality. And every decision a person's making is based on what they believe will give them the greatest advantage over disadvantage at any moment. So this hierarchy of values that they have, things that are highest to lowest priority, if they know them and they start to structure their life in a way that they're focusing and fulfilling their highest value, they're more likely to achieve because their highest values are intrinsic values and they're spontaneously inspired actions from within to fulfill them. 
where lower values are extrinsic values and they require motivation to keep you focused on them. So identifying what's really important and what's really priority, which is I spend quite a bit of time on to help people set real goals in real times that have real meaning, that are truly important to them, that their life really shows evidence of their commitment to, allows them to build momentum incrementally to do something extraordinary. Mm. So I'm interested in helping people do that because many people subordinate their life to other people, inject the values of other people that they're uh, putting above them. They're minimizing themselves. They're injecting those values. They're attempting to live in other people's values instead of their own. And they're wondering why they can't stay focused. They keep, quote, sabotaging. But it's really a feedback mechanism to let them know that they're striving to be somebody they're not and not honoring the magnificence of who they are, which is far greater than any fantasies they can inject or impose on themselves. I think the self-sabotage, which it's, it seems like you you don't love that word as, as as much from what I've heard you. Well, because I've heard that term. Yeah. I've never seen it really be sabotage. Mm. It's really a feedback to let them know that they're holding on to a fantasy about who they're trying to be instead of being authentic. And so the sabotage is not really a sabotage. It's trying to get them back to what is authentic. But they're addicted to the fantasy, so they think right. they're sabotaging. So that's why I put quotations around that, because um, I've never seen a real sabotage. I've just seen somebody who is holding on to an unrealistic expectation of themselves to be doing something that they think is important, but it's not really important. Yeah. Let me give an example, if you don't mind. Yeah, please. I ask people, because I'm in front of sometimes a very large audience, and I said, you know, how many of you want to be financially independent? And of course, most hands go up, if not all of them. And I'll say, great. Uh, and 100% of the room, I can have 10,000 people or more. And they could all have their hands up. And I'll say, okay, how many of you have your hands up? And they all look around. It says 99 to 100%. What percentage of the population make it, make financial independence, where their passive investment income exceeds their active income and it provides them the life they want? And I usually hear out anywhere from 1% to 3%, but it's usually it's less than 1%. I say, isn't it interesting that less than 1% achieve it, but 100% of you have your hands up? Yeah. So 99% of you are not going to achieve it, but you're saying you want it. And this is a very common pattern. And what they really want, these people that have their hands up that don't achieve it, is they want the the lifestyles of the rich and famous, and they want to spend money on depreciable and consumables so they can have the experience of that. They don't really actually have the value of investing in assets that appreciate in value, uh, because that's more boring uh, compared to the lifestyle spending which is immediate gratifying versus long-term payments. And most people don't have really the highest, on their highest value, the willingness to master the art of buying assets and letting them work for you so they can have a lifestyle that's paid for. And so they don't know what their real values are. They actually have a fantasy that they want this lifestyle, the rich and famous. And so I, I have tremendous amount of percentages of people that live in a delusion about what they think is important, but it isn't really important. So I don't go by what they say. I go by what their life demonstrates. I'm interested in how they spend their time, how they fill their space. um, What is it that energizes them? What is it they actually spend their money on? uh, What do they actually have order in and where they're most organized? Where are they most disciplined? What do they think, visualize, and affirm about how they want their life that shows evidence of coming true? What do they converse with people about most? What inspires them and brings a tear of inspiration to them? What are the persistent goals that they are achieving most consistently? What's common to them? And what it is that they love learning about spontaneously that nobody has to remind them to learn? Mm. This gives me a much more objective view about what's important to them. So once we get that and we narrow it down, we can start constructing a prioritized life that will excel and build momentum and expand their space and time horizons and do something that's a great achievement. So I'm interested in objectively giving them something that is inspiring to them that they'll actually achieve so they don't beat themselves up. Mm. And so you have you have a test that people can actually take on your website to start narrowing that down. Yeah, it's it's could be called a test. It's or, I just call yeah, it a, a value determination process. I I've used it. I mean, we've used it all over the world. Um, right now I'm getting ready to go to Tokyo uh, in a few weeks and 20 universities are about to use it for guidance counseling. Uh, we have got 20 major companies in, from Uniqlo Corporation to Panasonic to Yahoo to Japanese Electronic Corporation. Just in, in Tokyo, there's about 20 companies already that are using that throughout their systems to uh, determine 
to maximize engagement, to hire according to values, to inspire teams according to values so there's more engagement, to lead, manage, sell, and negotiate according to people's values. Because people want to be loved and appreciated for who they are and their highest values and what their identity revolves around. And if we don't communicate and sell and in terms of that, we don't get results. Right. So there's companies using it. There's governments that are using it. There's sports teams that are using it. There's educational institutions are using it. Lots and lots of companies and entrepreneurs are using it. So I've been blessed to get that out. And so on my website, there's there's a tool. It's complimentary. Um, it'll take them about 30 minutes. But it's just a series of questions. And it's the answers is is are quality to the degree that you're honest with yourself. Right. So if you are going to be serious and not put down what you wish those answers would be or what they used to be or what you fantasize or what you hope they'll be, and just put down what your life truly objectively de- demonstrates. If you were to video your life, what is that really your life doing? Because right. I'm not interested in fluff. I'm not interested in, in uh, fantasies. I'm interested in grounding because the grounding of that is what you actually get the greatest achievements with. Yeah, a, a quote that I borrowed f- from you was uh, vitality is directly linked, as paraphrased, not exactly what you said, but it's directly linked to the vividness of the, the vividness of your of your vision. And I think that's that's a big thing. It's like that's after the the workshop that I did with you recently, um, if you, you'd call it that. We only got, I only got a couple hours, but or an hour and a half, but it was impactful. I really appreciate it. Um, that was one of the big things that I started looking at in my world is, is one of the questions you asked is what do you organize in your world? Cause that's something that you care about, you know, and what do you, what do you think about actively? If for a lot of people, what they're actually creating in their life might be eating excessively or watching TV. And meanwhile, they have this fantasy vision of what they're actually doing. Yeah, so actually coming to terms with what you're creating is important. Yeah. You got to look what's true. Um, I rarely watch TV unless I'm on it. <laughs> I yeah. just, I'll watch it if I'm on it to see how to get feedback from my own. What do you think about when you see yourself on TV? Well, I'm I'm making sure that I'm getting the message across, and if I feel that I didn't do it, I'm thinking how I can say it more effectively, or how I can care about the person more and listen to them needs more. I'm I'm trying to find my ability to help people. So, um, but I'm used to it. I mean, I've done probably a thousand TV shows. So. What kind of critique have you given yourself over the years? Start honing in your message. Well, um, sometimes I'll speak too fast. Sometimes I'll, I'll, um, use language that people aren't going to relate to. Sometimes I'll say things that, um, I didn't think and didn't care about them and respect them enough to talk in their values. Um, there's many different things that I've done that I'm, I'm, I can't say I'm consistently always going in there factoring those in. It's like, if I had a checklist, I'd probably remember more of them. But I, I think I do relatively well, yeah. and I'm grateful for the opportunity to, to do them because I've done a lot of them. Yeah. Speaking into people's values is, is huge, and realizing that people, no matter what the relationship that you're in, you're, you're there to fulfill each other's values. Well, you are, but sometimes uh, maximum growth and development of an individual occurs at the border of support and challenge. Mm. So there's times, like I had a lady who was attending the weekend at the program that I do, the, the Breakthrough Experience, which I've down, down, done 1,125 times. So I've done it a few times. <laughs> I've done more than the Gladwell's 10,000 hours because each program is 25 hours at least. Yes. Um, but she was living in a delusion, without a doubt. She had fantasies and delusions and unrealistic expectations on many aspects of her life and in herself. And she didn't want to let go of those fantasies. Because they stimulate dopamine and they feel good and you, the withdrawal from that hurts. And But as a caring gesture, if I support her in this case, I'm actually keeping her from growing. So I challenged her and it was not comfortable for her. At the end of the program, she gave me a big hug and she says, thank you. I'm grounded. I understand my reality today. I was, I'm aware of my delusion now. I said, great. Can you see why you've been beating yourself up about your achievements? And she goes, absolutely. I said, now you know where you're going to excel, a strategy on how you can do it, and you can prioritize it, and you'll save yourself some time. And we showed you now how you can actually make great money getting rewarded to do what you love. So your vocation and vacation is the same. You don't have to schizophrenically have a Monday morning blues, Wednesday hump days. Thank God it's Fridays a week friggin' end. And she was grateful. But she had to go through a couple hours of some really challenging questions that confronted her fantasy and people hold on to fantasies and they don't want to face the truth sometimes, but she finally did. And she was very grateful that she took it. 
you have a background in chiropractic and and obviously movement and such from from your your days with surfing and 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 all that do you see a maybe you could say like a psychosomatic connection to our the way that we think you know so from our movement being tied to our thought and our vision or does that sound crazy nope uh i think you'd have to be really blind not to see the correlation between mind body yeah but of course there are behavior there are there are existential empirical scientists that believe there is no mind separate from the body it's just a brain function that we've labeled the mind others believe there's a dualism not a monism that there is a mind separate from the body i i have different views and different theories and i've been studying it for over 40 years um more than i can go into here but um, Go in as much as you can or as much as you're willing to. <laughs> well, the, the, the Immanuel Kant said that there's an imminent mind and a transcendent mind. And the imminent mind is inseparable from neurophysiology. And uh, it's basically a stimulus response and association phenomenon. And you can stimulate and change behavioral behavioral modification by stacking up different associations, etc. But it's all brain function. And there's no mind there. It's just It's just a brain. And all the functions we've labeled a mind because we've described it that way. Mm. And then there's also functions that we can't, we have yet to find a way of describing purely by neurophysiology, which are called the transcendent aspects. And these, uh, even scientists struggle to be able to explain purely by reflexes uh, of the animal inside us. So this is the transcendent mind. And I'm a believer, and I, in the Breakthrough Experience program that I do each week, I give people the experience of both minds or both aspects of this mind or both aspects of the brain, depending on how you look at it. And I want them to know that these potentials are sitting there and know how to use them and how to access them. So, because they have a vastly more uh, expanded vision. See, when somebody lives congruently in an alignment with what they truly value, and they set goals that align with it. They're rewarded in their physiology because the blood glucose and oxygen goes to the forebrain, mm-hmm. the front of the, the brain, the medial prefrontal cortex, the telencephalon. And that area of the brain has fascicles and connections to various other regions. And when you get online with that and you're congruent, uh, the visual cortex lights up and you get an inspired vision. You see where you're going. And it doesn't come on unless you're congruent. So you don't even know it exists or even know it's possible, but you can actually see the vision lucidly in your mind. You have a desire to do a cost-benefit analysis and do a strategic planning that comes online in the frontal area. You have a desire to execute it spontaneously without needing motivation. And you run down and, and get down to the amygdala and the nucleus accumbens, and you actually calm down that impulse instinct center, which are distractive and the desire for pleasure and avoid pain kind of things. And all of a sudden, your distractions are calm, and you have amazing governance to what other people look at as disciplined to go and execute. And so getting people to live by highest values allows people to maximize potential and, and productivity in their life. And that, that's I'm interested in helping people do that because they are grateful for their life. They get to achieve things. They get to see results. They see things on the way, not in the way. They're grateful uh, instead of baggaging. They're not victims of history. And they uh, do things, and then they give the permission to other people to go do the same, because they exemplify it, because that's one of the greatest teachers, as Einstein said. So I'm interested in doing that, because that allows the the brain and the mind to maximize its potential. Mm. Another one. uh... And it affects physiology. Our physiology, our brain is releasing neurochemistry, uh, neuromodulators, neuroregulators, neurotransmitters, neurohormones. Uh, through the endocrine glands and through the actual boutons of the synapses of the nerves. And they're releasing it into the blood vessels, uh, the blood into the lymphatic system, the extracellular fluid, into the venous system. And it's going into the cell receptors and activating them and changing cell enzyme pathways and cell and, and, and epigenetics. So they're literally altering the gene expression. And so your physiology and psychology are completely inseparable. Mm. The idea that you can separate them is just a, a farce. And you can change physiology, the way you posture yourself, and change psychology. 
and you can also change psychology and affect physiology. I wrote a book, it's a thousand page text on a thousand different health conditions. I basically wrote a medical textbook on various uh, thousand health conditions. I took uh, Beeson and McDermott's textbook and I kind of duplicated that, but in a different format. And uh, I went through and I went into the applied physiology, applied endocrinology, applied neurology, um, applied cell physiology, and the genetics. And I went through each of those conditions and then I showed how human perceptions altered the transmitters, altered the cells, and altered the things, and led to the illness. So I basically mapped out a psychological correlation of these illnesses as plausible mechanisms that might initiate these illnesses. So health professionals could at least look and explore those in case those could be neutralized and help reduce the probability of the continuance of the disease. And it's being used all over. And it's, and it's, I update that. I'm researching and updating that pretty well every week. And it's a I believe that the, your psychology affects your physiology, and your physiology is creating symptoms, trying to give you feedback to let you know you're not being authentic to what you really value. Mm. And I believe that the body is, is a gift. The symptoms aren't your enemies. Your symptoms are your, is a gift as a feedback to you to let you know when you're not being authentic. And if you know how to interpret them, they can guide you to wellness. But what's usually happening is, we have bought into a hedonistic model, which is incomplete, that if you have a symptom, it's bad, and you need to suppress it and take a drug. Right. And the problem with that is you never get to learn what it's actually trying to teach you. And that model, I think, is uh, keeping people from maximizing potential from their physiology. For instance, if you picked out, uh, you wouldn't, but if somebody did, oh, and, they, and they binged, <laughs> but if you picked out and you binged, and you woke up with a, a, a snuffy nose, a headache, congestion, uh, pain in the abdomen, diarrhea, uh, things. If you went to an allopathic physician uh, who's a pharmaceutical rep for the drug companies, uh, he would give you six medications and say you have an antihistamine because you have a nasal congestion, which is just a parasympathetic overload. You have um, a headache, analgesic, got a stomach ache, antiviral, uh, an anti-diarrhea uh, medication, and they give you all these different things, right? But the real truth is your body is just trying to let you know you ate too much. Yeah. <laughs> so those symptoms aren't disease. Those are healthy biological responses to the behavior. Right. Misinterpreted. And because people want a quick fix and they want to go take a pill and get a uh, immediate gratification, they're, they're not realizing the long-term effects of that. And it's wiser to learn what that physiology is and educate people on physiology so they know and get the feedback and learn the behavior and moderate the behavior mm. and eat a wise life, eat, eat wisely. That's a much wiser approach long-term for health. But people want immediate gratification. They don't want to take accountability. And they'll take an antacid because they picked out and ate late at night and lied down afterwards. And they wondered why they have a hiatal hernia and they have low energy and they're wondering why they're having difficulty in belching. And those are all just feedbacks to try to let them learn how to live properly and wisely. And so the, the applied physiology to me is, is something that I think would be wise to have taught in, even in undergraduate schools. Yeah. Yeah, I find it ironic or conflicting when I go to self-development or health conferences and I see everyone in, majority of everyone in a, in a depressive, subservient, folded over position hearing these words and speaking these words of empowerment. Meanwhile, there's this inherent conflict there. You know, and you mentioned Kant, Manuel Kant, one of his, his quotes that I've, I've attached to is that music is a, the quickening art. You know, so sometimes we can, we can go in through these other pathways and start to enliven ourselves, which then leads into that feeling of like, yeah, like I do have values. You know, so I think it's, we have all these different pathways and all these tools. There's no like, one direction. Well, if you go to a, an allopathic physician, uh, you can pretty well guarantee you're going to walk out with a drug. You yeah. go to a chiropractor, you're going to probably get an adjustment. You go to a herbalist, you're probably going to get some herbs. You go to a nutritionist, you're going to get some nutrition. If you go to an acupuncturist, you're going to get a needle in your a body. Um, everybody's going to approach it from their view, and they all have a contribution. Right. Um, so the question is, is what do you want? <laughs> yeah. But um, I can't say that any of them are right or wrong. They all have a place in the mind because part of healing is our inner mind. Placebo. But um, yeah, you want to make sure you prioritize the most conservative approach first, in my opinion. Right.
wanted to take a quick break and thank our sponsor, Organifi, for supporting the show. Organifi is a rad company. I utilize their superfood blends on a daily basis. Um, holding in my hands the green juice right now, filled with all the green powders your little heart could desire, from uh, wheatgrass to spirulina to chlorella to matcha. Really excellent stuff. Highly recommend checking them out. They also do protein blends that are vegan, as far as I can see. So the protein they're using in here is pea protein, quinoa protein, and pumpkin seed protein. Everything's organic. Everything's delicious. Highly recommend checking them out. So go Organifi, O-R-G-A-N-I-F-I.com and utilize the Align code for 20% off. Organifi.com, Align code, A-L-I-G-N, 20% off. Get that stuff. Thank you guys so much for tuning in back to the show. Pow. What do you, one of the things I've, I've heard you mention is the, the gliology over neurology. And so this, this myelination of our, of our nerve cells kind of choosing the path, fertilizing the direction, depending upon where we, we put our intentions. Can you speak on that a little bit of kind of just like some of the, the neuroscience of this as well? All yes. these angles. Yeah. I've been fascinated by that topic for many years. I taught neurology th- almost 40 years ago. Mm. Um, I'll use an analogy of a tree because it's a good analogy, I think. A tree, um, in order to, to grow, is looking for light. It needs photons. So it's thirsty for photons. If it gets a lot of photons, the leaves that reach the photons grow more branches and grow. And the ones that don't, they die out. They shade it over. So a tree, anything that's fulfilling its purpose of getting the light... Uh, it strengthens. And anytime it's not fulfilling its purpose, it dies out. The brain is identical. In fact, they even call the neuron endings the dendrites because the dendrit- dendritic means tree or forest. So what happens is uh, if you are walking down the street, and let's say you're a 35-year-old woman with three kids and your highest value is your family, your children. If you walk in a mall, you walk in the st- down the street, walk in a mall, you will spot things related to children. You'll have a, a selective biased attention. The thalamus region takes sensory inputs and filters it before it gets into the conscious state of the mind, the brain. And so what happens is you'll filter it. And you'll see children's items, children's clothes, children's health items, etc. And any item you see that you believe is going to fulfill what you intend for your children uh, is fulfilling. And that fulfillment literally activates photons in the brain. There's literally light in the brain. And that area of the brain, what happens to the glial cells, which outnumber the nerve cells 9 or 10 to 1, so they dominate the brain, they come in and they myelinate that pathway that actually helped you get fulfillment. It releases nutrients so the nerves get nutrients. It uh, takes away toxic materials. Each of the glial cells do different things to maximize the pathway to speed up the conduction. It initiates neurogenesis so there's more nerves that are actually working, it just wants to grow more nerves. It's a living brain, it's not a stagnant brain. And now, the, that branch is now reaching the light, if you will. It's getting fulfillment, it's mission. And anytime you walk in and you set a goal that is not aligned with your highest values, and it's aligned to lower values, you're not going to be able to see as much, you're not gonna be as alert as much, and you're not gonna feel fulfilled because you're trying to do something that's not really important to you. And the brain literally causes apoptosis, destruction, a demyelinization, a denutrification, and it actually removes part of the brain because it's not being fulfilled. So hopefulness and helpfulness in the sensory motor area actually grow the brain, and helplessness and hopelessness actually demyelinate the brain. Hmm. And that's why you find that state many times in some of the neurodegenerative diseases, MS, uh, ALS, and things that are actually right. there. That's in the psychology that goes with it. So it's so important to set goals that are truly congruent with who you are because you increase the brain function uh, and your brain is your life. It's the manager of your life. So maximizing brain function and, and you, you know, it's interesting when you're living in the executive center of the brain, you're not in the amygdala and you're less likely to be addictive, less likely impulsive, less likely to be a consumer and an overeater. And a lot of the health problems are a symptom of unfulfilled highest values. Even consumerism, the overspending and living through vicariously through high-paid brands of others instead of building your own brand, is a symptom of not being fulfilled in life instead of actually being inspired by a brand yourself. Yeah. 
is there anything that in particular that challenges you presently? It seems like you got your shit together. With everybody, I know there's something. I don't think think anybody, uh, if you're growing, I always say if you're green, you're growing. If you're ripe and you're rotten. Um, I am constantly challenged, many of which are pursued challenges on how do I accomplish what I set out to do. So I'm challenged. I'm no different than any other human being. Uh, But I'm challenged by uh, being in many places at the same time, my schedule. I have very intense schedules. Uh, I prefer them. I, I love feeling like I had a, an amazing day and got a productive day. So I have incredible schedules, sometimes flight schedules, sometimes sleep um, deprivations, sometimes keeping up with them all. Um, but those are my biggest challenges. A lot of the challenges I've delegated, because I, I found out that my core competence is research, write, travel, teach. And outside that, I, it's wise for me to delegate. Yeah. I'm, I'm, I haven't driven in 27 and a half years a car. I haven't cooked since I was 24 years old. I, I'm, I'm jokingly, I tell people I delegate everything, even sex to other people, because I'm not an <laughs> expert in that area. I'll take it. I'm, I'm joking on that one. <laughs> but, but I found that, that what I do best is, is I, I'm a very good reader. I, I've read over 30,000 books. I, I, am, I love learning. I love researching. I love synthesizing information. I love organizing it. I love packaging it. I like presenting it. So I don't, why would I want to spend my life not doing what I love? Yeah. That doesn't make any sense. So I've delegated everything else off and I spend my life doing what I do. So that reduces the stress levels in people and it reduces the chaos that most people live because they keep scattering themselves with things that aren't meaningful to them and they end up wondering why they feel emotions about it. But I still have challenges uh, with deadlines that I set, uh, with uh, goals that I want to do. I have people sometimes asking me to speak in four places at the same day. And I go, how do I do that? I'm, I'm going to be in South Africa and I'm doing a, a presentation during the day. But at lunch, I'm doing something in London and um, uh, by, a, by a webinar, Zoom, what do you call Zoom. And then in the evening, I'll be in the Ukraine and I'm doing programs there um, for an hour and a half live presentation by, uh, by another video conferencing. And so if I can get all that packed in a day, I grab it. How do you do with stillness? How do you do with like 10 days away from everything? Well, I rarely do that. I, 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 I live on a ship. You may know that. Yeah. And uh, sometimes on the ship, I, I get my research and writing done. But I, and I know how to meditate. I've been meditating for over 45 years. So I can sit still on a, on a plane or sitting in a mountain somewhere. I climbed Lionhead in Cape Town recently and we sat up there and meditated. I know how to do that, but I prefer to fill my day with what is inspiring to me because that is my meditation. Yeah. That's meditative to me. Yeah. We probably need to wrap up kind of, kind of soonish. Um, we do another, another five, 10 minutes or so. Um, one of the things I'm quite curious, of, so you're, I know you're familiar with Robert Kiyosaki. You probably know him and read all his books. I'd imagine at least read all his <laughs> books. Um, so he gets into assets versus liabilities, and that's a, that's a confusion for people of what is an asset. You think your Corvette's an asset because it's awesome. And it's like, no, it's actually drawing energy away from you in a sense, potentially. Um, I wonder your perception of the direction of uh, our economy right now. Is that something that I know it's something you're thinking about? Are we in the edge of a bubble right now? What the heck's going on? Well, uh, it depends on the aspect of the economy. There are many markets, right. uh, as Ray Dalio put, there are hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of different transactions, thousands of transactions, billion transactions going on every day. Yeah. The market is a series of transactions. These transactions are in various sectors of the economy, society. And uh, usually there's a, there's a large cycle and there's a bunch of small cycles. And some of those cycles are counterbalance other cycles. So it depends on what portion of the economy is in a bubble, not all of them. But overall, the stock market, um, since I think November 8th, when Donald Trump was uh, elected, or no, he was going to be in, uh, has gone up from about 17,008 in the Dow to about 25, 6,000. And it was peaked up and it went down and it's headed back up again. That's uh, an extraordinary amount of unrealistic growth that is definitely... Um, will compensate and have to be corrected. So the normal rate of the Dow since its inception um, is around 6 or 7% with dividends. 
So when you have a 7,000 to 8,000 rise on a 26,000, that's a 25% increase in a year and so. So nothing can sustain that. No economy ever grows at that rate. So part of that is not intrinsic value in the economy. Part of that is sentimental assumptions by people gambling uh, many times with margin accounts to uh, infuse capital into something, thinking they can get double digits returns for small amounts, borrowing money. That eventually corrects itself, as we had a temporary correction recently. Um, until it goes down to about 20.44, which is the mean right now that I calculated, uh, the Dow, for instance, there's no buy to me. I don't buy it because mm. it's above its real intrinsic value. Mm. I'm not interested in investing anything unless it's got a real asset there and it's got a real intrinsic value. So I'm building up cash right now, accumulating cash. I'm not in the, I, uh, the money that I put in there, I've left in there, but I'm not putting more into there until it goes back into a reasonable truly intrinsically valued market, then I'll buy up again. When everybody is freaking out and selling and crashing, if it goes down below 20.4, and I watch the mean, I only buy below the mean. That's just my basic fundamentals. I do the same thing in real estate. I've done the same in art. I I try my best to buy something with objectivity instead of subjective emotional exuberance, as they say, because that usually blinds you. And I want to make sure I buy something that is a true asset. An asset is something that's going to give you a return on investment and put money in your pocket. A liability is going to something that's going to erode the growth of your capital. So, knowing the difference, very few people really grasp the difference. They think buying a house is an asset, but rarely is it a asset if it's a lifestyle. If it's a rental property, it might be, right. maybe, but not necessarily. You need to run the numbers and make sure it really is. Yep. So, you really have to do foresight and have a series of checklist questions on what you buy if you're going to invest to make sure you're not letting your amygdala run you with blindness uh, impulsives and uh, make sure that you have an objective data that's got statistical probability in your favor and using your cost-benefit analysis to get a return. If you do, you have a higher yield. Warren Buffett has got the, the skills of this. He's led a lot of people, thousands of people, into um, profitable endeavors. I'm, I'm a little bit more on his side than I am on half the gunslingers out there. Right. I studied, I've been studying, I've studied well over probably 1,200 books on the field, and I, uh, I feel I'm relatively knowledgeable about the area. And um, there's a tremendous amount out there that is not so, that's being taught. And it's wise to um, be aware, if you're wanting to get rich quick, wise to stop and get yourself educated. Can I ask one more question? Yeah. This will be a one-word answer if you want. Uh, cryptocurrency. Yeah. Do you have any opinion on that, if one were interested in getting involved presently? I was interviewed by, about that over the last so many years here, two years maybe. Um, I'm not one who's bought into cryptocurrency. Um, I have investigated the blockchain uh, technology. I, I think I studied as much as I could on that. I looked at the volatilities of the companies that were involved in that, and I see where it's going, at least in my opinion. It's going in a direction where the largest organizations are going to eventually take over that. So buying into the small guys right now, um, you might get a temporary yield out of it. But in the long run, they're going to be taken over by the big big boys. And so I already have stocks in some of the big boys. And I don't think I have to go and buy into individual things and gamble with it. Um, but it's going to be here. Blockchain is going to be used. Yeah. But I can't guarantee each one of those currencies are going to be here. I have a feeling that a lot of the currencies you see right now won't even be in existence here very shortly. So we're going to have other systems when regulation comes in, and a lot of those are going to peter out. So regulation is inevitable. You cannot have um, this non-regulated financial structure. It does not. There's no way that can sustain itself. So that has to be um, understood. There has to be an exchange. There are taxations and things of this nature and regulations. Or you have an absolute wild west. So that's a short-lived process, and it's already being transformed worldwide with different countries. So that's not hard to see that's coming. So you could gamble temporarily with with monies and make money. There's people who have made quite a bit of money on this, Um, and I'm not against that, but that's not the path I took. I'm the kind of guy that asks this question. If I'm going to put my money into something, does it serve people in the world? 
is it going to be sustainable decades from now? Uh, is it going to be something that aligns with my core value systems? Right. And is it going to be something that uh, the product, service, or idea that it's actually under my, you know, building, is that going to be something that's going to be a contribution long-term for the health and well-being of the society? If it is, then it's probably going to be there. I'll give an example. Uh, I bought 34 years ago a peanut butter company. And uh, before I was born, that peanut butter company was here. After I die, that peanut butter company will be here. And the actual manufacturing process of that peanut butter has had very little change. It works. And it means there's no new and improved and new competitive like in the IT business. Uh, because of that, it has had a very good margin, and it has served millions and millions and millions of people. Most people have eaten peanut butter in their life. It's not the raw peanut butter. That would be ideal. But it's a peanut butter that, that allows people to sustain themselves around the world. I bought that in 34, almost years ago, 35 years ago almost. And uh, it's six times itself since. So I bought it because I believe that there's people out there that are going to be using it beyond my life. And I'd rather buy something that I know that will be of contribution long term, preferably, than something that's uh, the newest fad that may peter out in another week with, with the something. I'm not against buying things that other way, but you really have to keep your eyes on it. And my focus is not managing my portfolio every single day. I don't want to be dri driven by that. Mine is to research and write and travel and teach. So I structure as best I can uh, and update my portfolio according to the companies that I think are going to be long-term and just be patient with it and appreciate a moderate y yield. Getting rich quick can actually undermine your psychology because then when you have that little thing burst pop, um, then you're all of a sudden no longer appreciative of a quality return off a quality company. Mm. So that can be a backfire. And I've seen many people go get rich quick over the, the gambling and trading process. And then when they end up having the downturn, because everybody can make money on up, uh, up market, right. when it goes down, they're not so skilled at it. And then they get depressed and then they don't know how to manage their life and they've exceeded in their expectations and they've lived beyond their means. And, and then they end up having the pain that go into with the initial pleasure instead of understanding how the amygdala works versus the executive center. I'd rather use my mind and learn and be a work in wisdom than I would be in a, in a folly, as I say. Cool. Thanks so much. Thank you. I, it's been a, a pleasure digging into your work and getting to learn, and it's uh, it's it's been life changing for me. Oh well, really. thank you. Yeah, thank really. you for the opportunity to, to yeah. share. Yeah, appreciate it. How do people find you and find your work and get involved? Workshops, all all that that stuff. Well, I'm uh, I'm somewhere in the world every day. I travel full time. Uh, the best thing to do is just go to my website, drdmartini.com. D r d e m a r t i n i dot com. Uh, it's an educational website. You could go on there and probably spend the rest of your life just learning. There's media, thousands of interviews, there's inspirational work, there's all kinds of things on there. So you could just go in there and, and get to know what I'm up to. Awesome. Thank you. Thanks, sir. Appreciate it. Over and out. Recording terminated. Align Podcast. Thank you guys so much for tuning into that conversation. I hope you enjoyed it as much as I did. There's some ways that you can support this podcast, one of which you can pick up an Align Band, which is a heavy-duty resistance band. It comes along with a door anchor and a carrying case and a video guide on how to mobilize those joints and integrate that body of yours. Really great stuff. You can be found at AlignTherapy.com and also on Amazon.com. Um, thank you also so much for utilizing the Amazon affiliate link on the right-hand sidebar of the podcast page. Bookmark that thing. Anytime you purchase some crap on Amazon, purchase that crap. Through that link, we get a percentage of it. costs you nothing. And I think that's enough. Thank you guys so much for reviews on iTunes. Thank you for listening. Thank you for supporting. Have a beautiful rest of your day. Pow.